All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good morning online and all the people who will be watching later because it's not raining. It's Memorial Day and people are out having fun. Um, I'm excited to be here today. And speaking of paddleboarding, um, I also have been like three times, so I'm, I'm a pro as well. I remember um, one time I was out and Aurora was sitting on the front of the paddleboard and I was paddleboarding and she went off and I was like, you're on your own because I knew if I stopped, I'd be gone too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I fell off and she kept going because that's, that's what she does. But um, if you have your Bibles today, turn them to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to continue our uh, Money Talks series that we started last week. And um, as, as we dive in again to Money Talks, let me remind you real quick what the series is not. And we, we talked last week, this series is not me saying um, if you, you need to give or you're a bad person. Um, we, we need your money right now. We're in financial trouble. I'm here today, and when I'm done, we're going to take a special offering from you guys. That, that's not what any of this is. This is looking at the Bible, looking at biblical principles on what we can do with our finances and, and how God instructs us to handle the things that he's be, given us the ability to be stewards over. In all reality, the Bible has over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. And Jesus talks more about money than he does often of the kingdom of God and, other, and, and heaven and different other things that, that the church really emphasizes on, as we should. But often we don't talk about money, other than the sense of churches maybe saying, we're going to talk about money today because we need you to give it right now. But that's not what this is. And so... Um, Hear my heart behind it and know that a lot of this is not my opinion or a commentary. A lot of this is coming from Scripture and what I really think God is showing us on how to be stewards of finances. So, make sense? All right, sweet. So, we're, we're going to dive in. First uh, Timothy 6, and we'll get there in a second. But um, the whole meaning behind the phrase money talks. Money, money talks. Is, is it persuade someone to participate in, in the rat race of life to accumulate as much money as you can, Right? Yeah, that, that, that's the phrase, you know, the, the world says get all the money you can. Uh, often our success is measured by how much money we have. Sometimes people will even ask the question, um, not everyone asks it with this motive, but a question that we'll ask people often is, so what do you do? And when someone says what they do, one of the first things we can think of is, oh, they must be pulling in some money. Or, oh, it must be really hard for you. Like if someone says, what do you do? And someone says, oh, I am an investor on Wall Street. You can start immediately thinking, yeah, I need to become friends with this guy. Or if someone says, I am a teacher at a private school. Immediately, if, if you start thinking finances, there, there's a different level that we start thinking on economic status because money talks. And that's what society has embedded into our brains. But if you were, if you were to ask yourself this question, how much is enough? How much is enough? Often uh, we may even think, not enough. There, there's never enough. You, you could always have more. You could always want more. Do we, is there ever enough? So I guess that question for today would be, if money talks, what would it say if, is if you have enough? It's used in several circles, but what does it mean for a Christ follower? What does it mean for the church? Do you have enough? Now, amid a consumer-driven culture where money has become an idol and, and money is worshipped, um, how do we balance that when it comes to finances? What God's given us, do we want more? Are we content with what we have? Are we being responsible with it? And the question for many is not what Scripture says about money, because Jesus talks more about money in the Gospels than many, any other topic. But how does the subject of money apply today? What does it mean for us today? It can often be neglected, but... 
But I hope today we'll see um, another thing that money says and how we can relate to it in our lives. So in this, this is not a series. I'm not trying to guilt anyone. If, if, you, if you're here for the first time today, um, I said this last week, so I know there were a lot of first-time visitors last week, and I see some faces that I haven't met yet uh, here today. I know some of you may go home and even say that. I went to church for the first time, and man, they were talking about money, and they just want my money. Please hear my heart. That's not this. You can sit on your wallet, put your purse away. I'm not asking you for anything. Um, I just want, all I'm asking is that we listen to what God says about it. Um, today, I want to take a look at two things that money says. One, what the world will say money says, and something that the Bible, I believe, says. Last week, we talked about <clears throat> the pursuit of money. And this week, I want to talk about two things. The world will say, when it comes to money, the world will say, chase me. Chase me. And we can all kind of relate to that, right? You got, you got to chase the money, whether it's the job or the opportunity. We got to chase the money. But I believe God says, earn me. The world says, chase me. I believe God says, earn me. There's a story where it says, chase me, chase me. You're never going to get me. A little girl calls to her friend, and the game of tag goes back and forth, back and forth, changing directions until the friends tire and move on to something new. How many of you guys have played tag in your life, right? I mean, that's, that's a common game. We play tag. And what's funny is, is the game tag, as far as worldwide, it's a, it's a game that around the world every culture knows. Everybody plays tag. No matter where you go, this, a form of this game exists. And it goes back to the beginning of time, people just chasing each other and playing tag. Now, I hear this at home with my girls, right? I, I, they run around the house, and as much as we say don't run around the house, then they'll speed walk around the house and still knock things over. It doesn't matter. But, you know, they, they play tag through the house. Um, when I go to the schools and volunteer there, the old kids will be running around saying, you know, uh, catch, chase me, chase me, never going to get me. They'll play tag. And everyone goes back and forth. The chase never ends, right? As long as the game is on, it continues until someone or everyone is totally wiped out, worn out, beat, and you can't run anymore. And usually when someone gets tagged, it's because the person chasing them has more energy than the person getting chased, right? They chase them, they wear them down, and finally someone tries to call that ridiculous, timeout, and you know, it doesn't count. There's no timeouts. But you chase them until you get them. All too soon, though, we can get winded. Now, <clears throat> money offers us the same invitation as tag. Money offers us the same invitation. It offers us this invitation to chase it. To say, chase it, chase it, it calls me. It says, chase me, chase me, it yells. But just when we think we're about to catch it, we're going to experience a win, money may change direction. Something may happen with finances, and we're forced to change direction and shift our priorities, and we start all over again. The chasing continues, and the chasing continues, and we're continually in this pursuit of this necessity in life, right? We talked last week about money meaning we all need it. I'm not here to say money is horrible, money is bad. We all need it. We need it for food. We need it for shelter. We need money, but we talked about the love of money being where we go, where we go wrong. But rather than a fun game of tag between friends, this, this rat race of chasing money can be like running on the spinning wheel. You're spending lots of energy, never reaching your destination. And it's a game that's far from fair sometimes. I mean, I think a lot of us can even say that in our lives. When something happened with money, you just think, that is not fair. That just is not fair. How come this happened to me financially and this happened to someone else financially? I'm giving it everything I've got. This is anything but fun. This can be anything but fun. I think God invites us to a better way of working, though. A better way of working with our finances, a better way of how we earn, and a better way of how we steward. A way where we earn money through, through purposeful work, through serving him, rather than chasing money for ourselves the way that the world would say. 
Both ways, though, the relentless chase and purposeful service, these involve work. Earning money for God, guess what? It's going to involve work. Earning money for yourself, it's going to involve work. Guess what one is more fulfilling in the end? Guess what one? It's not a trick question, right? We all know chasing or earning money and fulfilling what God has called you to do is going to be the one that really fills you up. The pursuit is different. The pace is different. And ultimately, the purpose of the heart behind it, that's what we're really getting at, the heart behind it is very, very different. Both ways bring in income, but God's way doesn't come at the expense of all the people around you and all the most important things in your life that he has called you to be a steward of. Do you want your money to say, chase me, or do you want to teach it to recite something different? Now, we talk about money being neutral, right? Money, money is... is Money in neutral, it's work, it's a good thing, you receive it for work that you do, but today's consumer culture wants you to earn, earn, spend, spend. Even Facebook hears you talking about something, and sure enough, what happens? Oh man, you gotta buy it. I remember I was at a friend's house playing a card game, I think it was called Hand and Foot, and I had never heard of this card game before, it's called Hand and Foot, we're having so much fun playing this card game. We go home, my Facebook feed the next day was custom hand and foot cards, order hand and foot cards. I did not Google the phrase, I did not look at the phrase, I just played the game at a friend's house. And Facebook was getting me, trying to get me to buy hand and foot cards. I did not do it. But the world wants us to spend. It wants you to chase, wants you to get more, earn more, so you can get more and buy more. And as a result of this, what happens with money is it doesn't just become a tool and something that we can steward, it becomes an idol in our lives something that rules all of our decisions, something that that manages everything we say or do because we're chasing it, devoting all of our time and energy to winning and chasing more and more of it. This can lead um, us, men and women both, to to becoming workaholics. It can lead to gambling addictions for people who want to get rich quickly. It can lead to casting your money out in a really, really bad way that doesn't honor God or even what he's trying to get you to learn and do through it. And it can lead us to putting our value and worth in how much money we have rather than what God says and rather what God says we are. So 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10 says this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, we, we said a quote from John Wesley last week, and, and I, I want to talk more about John Wesley and, and his, his kind of morals for, for money and, and what, how to be good stewards of it, and also what the Bible says and where Wesley pulled this from, because he, he gave a whole lot of financial advice, and he pulled a lot of it from Scripture, and we're going to go through some of that today, especially when it comes to earning money versus chasing money. What is a healthy way to earn? What is a healthy way to honor God as you earn? And what is an unhealthy way that will lead to burnout and other things? So the first guideline Wesley lays out, I mean, he says this, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. We talked about that last week. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And the first guideline that Wesley lays out that he pulls from scripture, he says this, earn all you can by honest industry using all possible diligence in your calling. And that's a key phrase right there I think he's saying. He says, in your calling. Do a quick, quickly, everyone look around the room real quick. You see people all over the room, right? You see people, you know, some people right next to you, some people in front of you. But I know it's kind of empty today. It's more early. But there's people around, okay? So if you look at people around you, it's safe to say that your calling is not their calling. 
Same type say, right? We, we all have different callings in life. Some people have gone all forms of different, different professions. We have people in, in the, the armed forces. We have police officers. We have people that, that work in banks. We have, we have people that, that work in the church. We have, we have people across the board, realtors. I mean, it's, we have a wide spectrum of what people were called to do. And it's really awesome when you can look at someone and say, like, hey, we are both serving God, but we were called in different directions. So Wesley's talking about this in the principle of money. He says, Earn all you can by honest industry, using all possible diligence in your calling. So what is God calling you to do, and how does that relate to your finances? What, what does God want you to do? What does it mean to work for God? Some, some Christians wrongly assume that if you want to work for God, you must either be a pastor or a missionary. People will say that. Well, I don't work for God. I work in construction. That doesn't mean you don't work for God. I don't work for God. I'm a teacher. You don't think working for kids is also working for God, right? I think in any profession that you are in, that this, what God has called you to do, you can absolutely serve him. You don't have to be standing up here. You don't have to be employed in church walls to be serving and working for God. God does call some of us to a career where we maybe have to shift things. I know people that, that maybe became Christians later in life, and then they did a whole career change and said, hey, I was doing this, but now I want to be a worship pastor. I was doing this, but now I want to be a lead pastor. God does do that for some people, but for some people, they become Christ followers, and God says, hey, stay right where you are, because I'm going to do something big right where you are. We all have a different calling, right? And God will work in our current circumstances. We all know the name C.S. Lewis. The guy wrote Chronicles of Narnia, amongst many, many other incredible books. But the Chronicles of Narnia was a platform with Christians and non-Christians alike, right? He writes about this certain lion, Aslan, this witch, this wardrobe, this land called Narnia. And the, originally published from 1950 to 1956 in London, this collection is now considered classic children's literature with over 100 million copies in 47 languages worldwide. That's really cool that this one book series did all of that so many years ago. It's by far his best-selling book. You know what that book did? Provided him a platform for his Christian apologetic books, such as Mere Christianity and the Screwtape Letters and other books that came later. But he didn't start preaching. He started with, I'm going to write this kid's book. I'm going to do something I'm good with. And he put Christian themes in it. But that platform, what he was doing as an author, God then used that for his ministry. He didn't start in a church. He didn't come to a church and say, I'm going to be a pastor and then write books that then got recognized. He was in his craft. He said, God, I'm going to honor you in what you've made me talented in. And God used that to reach millions of people. That's really, really amazing, right? His field as an author gained him recognition that allowed his teachings on Christianity to then be reached and heard all around the world. It wasn't the pulpit for him. It was doing what God had put it in his heart to do in his field, what he was already doing. If you are doing what God has called you to do, instead of chasing a money dream, then you know where you are? You're right where God wants you to be. If you're doing what God's called you to do, he's right where you want, he wants you to be, earning what he wants you to earn, fulfilling his dreams for you, fulfilling his plans for you. Now, how many of us wonder that, though? We wonder, God, what is it that you want for me? God, God I, do, do I have to change my career? Do I have to earn more so I can give more, so I can do more? For some of us, maybe that's true. Maybe God is saying, we're going to shift so you can do these things. But there's also a lot of us where God would say, hey, right where you are, you know what? You're right where I need you to be. Honor me with what you're doing and watch what I can do through you. I'm willing to bet that's true for many people in this room. 
And you know, when you are right where God wants you to be, you know what the harvest is? It is ripe. It is ripe and ready. God has you right where he wants you to be when you're following him. And it's right around you. Don't doubt, don't ever doubt that he can use you as you are, where you are in the world right now for his glory. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse that um, some people use a lot of time kind of as a prosperity thing, but understanding the context of it, it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for hope in a future. Some people will say that and go, you know what? I know exactly what I'm doing and God's gonna prosper me. In context of this verse, people were taken captive. Babylon came in, ransacked, took captive, and they were like, we're gonna revolt. And Jeremiah, who prophet was with them, said, hey, you know what, guys? We're captive right now because we were doing things we shouldn't have been doing, and God's up, God, you know, this is kind of consequence. But if we honor God, he will prosper us through these things. So for us in our context, if we are somewhere where maybe our actions put us there, and our actions and consequences have led us to a life decision where we're at now, if you honor God in this decision, he will work with you in this decision. He will work with you in what you're going through. He will never abandon you. He'll never leave you. He says, honor me. I am with you in this. It is never too late to start honoring God with what you're doing and then watching what he will do because you decided in this moment, you know what? I'm making a shift now and it's all about him, not me. Honor God. Never doubt he can use you wherever you're at. The second thing Wesley says is he says, earn all you can without paying more for it than it is worth. Earn all you can without paying more for it than it's worth. So his, his caveats to earn all you can, don't pay more than what it's worth, right? Now, at first glance, this can look like a bargain hunter. I know um, I, I like bargains. I, I seldom buy something unless there's a sale or a coupon to go with it because I, I like saving a few bucks here and there. Um, totally opposite of my wife, but that's a different story. Um, Every week, though, when, when the ads come in the mail, I'm, I'm the guy that looks through the ads. I do. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of people will be like, junk and just toss it. I'm like, groceries, what's on sale? Can, can, I save, can I save some money on the food? Can I save some money on, what, what are some things I'm looking at that, that I really need that, hey, I've been waiting because it's on sale now? Or maybe I've been saving up money for something that I really want, and the ad is here now, and now maybe it's on sale. Now, hey, I can save a few more bucks getting it. You know, so I look through those things. Is there something that I want but don't need? Is there something I need but, but don't want? But I, I, maybe I have the funds to splurge, maybe not. According to my daughter, Avery, she goes, Daddy, you have a credit card. Get whatever you want. Someday she'll learn. Someday she'll learn that um, you know, if you do that, you're in for a world of hurt later, right? The joys of innocence of childhood, not knowing what that plastic means. <clears throat> but this statement is not about the stuff. This statement that he's saying, um, without paying more, it's worth, is not about bargain hunting. It really is about your health. Are you cashing checks that your body and your health cannot pay? He goes on to explain that earning all you can should not be at the expense of your life and your health. There are things far more important than money, far more important than our finances. Those, your physical, your mental, your spiritual health, those are all always more important than your finances. They are more important. If you lose those things, finances will not matter. There are jobs that long-term can take a toll on your health, even jobs in ministry. While some may be able to engage in certain uh, work without harming their health, others, because of circumstances or boundaries or a lack of boundaries, may maybe need to make a career change because for some people, you can literally say, my job is killing me. No job is worth killing you. 
It's not worth it. Workaholism sometimes. Um, I, I suffer at times from workaholism where my wife has to tell me, hey, you need to come home. Your office will be there tomorrow. Your computer will be there tomorrow. You can finish this tomorrow. You need to come home. You need to get this done because I, I, haven't, I have this need to get stuff done. <clears throat> and I had to set up boundaries. But for people that are workaholics, man, workaholism can take away your health. It can hurt your marriage. It can hurt the relationships of your kids, the people all around you. The ones you're working to provide for can be the very ones that you alienate and damage. Truth is, work can become an idol. Work can be an idol. The thrill of making money, the, the excitement of closing a deal, the excitement of, but I'm going to get a bonus. I'm going to get this. If I do this, I will get so much more money. That can be a factor that, that totally hurts the ones around you, the very ones we're trying to provide for. The thrill of closing a deal, the, the feel of being needed, these factors fill a need for worth that is unhealthy emotionally, spiritually, physically, and relationally. It's simply not worth it. It's just not worth the sacrifice. And it might seem obvious, right? This is, this is an obvious statement. Our physical bodies were not designed to work 24-7. They were not designed to work 24-7. Someone once said, working 24 hours a day for seven days a week makes you one week weaker every week. Kind of a tongue twister, right? But if you work 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, makes you one week weaker every week. At times, it's hard to turn down incentives, like, like overtime or a promotion. Uh, so, so we end up cutting other things in our life short, sleep patterns. We cut out family time. We, we cut out our health, all in an effort to chase the dollar, to chase this, this almighty thing that we like, I need more of this, and it just beats us down. Earning more at the expense of your life, earning more at the expense of your family, earning more at the expense of your health, earning more at the expense of sacrificing a Sabbath in your relationship with God, that's all in vain. We, we talked about the Sabbath a few weeks ago. Uh, the art of the Sabbath rest is not just taking a day off. It's, it's really saying, God, I'm trusting you with everything today, specifically today. I'm giving it all to you. I'm taking a day to honor you, to celebrate you, to rest in you. I trust you with all I have, all I am, and I know you will take care of everything. The Bible, we, we read about the very first Sabbath in Genesis 2, 2. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God didn't need rest, but by resting on the Sabbath, God made it holy. By resting on the Sabbath, God made it holy. Money's not worth chasing, especially if it pulls you away from a relationship with God. I think that's got to be first and foremost, right? In our priorities in life, God's got to be number one. He's got to be number one. Family's number two. We can't let money supersede either of those. And we, we can run the risk, right, of saying, well, if I want to provide my family, I've got to have money, so I've got to put them above it. But that's where we start sacrificing our family, and it's not worth sacrificing. It's not worth doing it. I remember for a time there was a friend of mine who was uh, going through a really, really hard time, someone really close to me, and he actually started saying phrases that made me think, do I need to call a, a hotline right now because you're saying some scary things? He would say things like, I know what my policy is worth, and I think my family would be better off if I was gone. And so just talking to him and saying, do you not realize that your family would gladly sacrifice all of that to keep you in it? We've got to have the same mentality when we're working for our families. They want us more than we need the money. We've got to make sure they are priority. We've got to make sure God is the priority. It's not worth chasing if it causes you to pull away from your family or your walk with God or if it declines your health. Remember, you don't get to take your money with you. 
you don't get to take it with you, it's not worth it. Now hear me, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't work hard. I believe when you have a job and you're employed, you give that employer 100%. Absolutely, you, you are doing something, you are working, you give them everything you've got, you work in a healthy way. Because I do also believe that God honors hard work. God honors hard work all the time. We see that all throughout scripture. People will give their all to God and we see God pouring down blessings on people to say, I'm all in, I'm giving you everything. We see God do amazing things. And at the same time, when we see people say, you know what, God, I wanna follow you or I wanna do this, but I'm just gonna give a little bit of it, we see consequences. We see God say, oh, here's what you could have had if you would have done it more. Many stories in scripture about people that, that don't give their all and the consequences that happen and vice versa. People that give it everything and God says, here's what's going to happen because you are all in. God wants more though than our hard work and our profession. He wants our hard work at serving him and giving him everything. He wants our whole heart all the time. He wants it all the time. Give God your heart and give him everything. Imagine for a second now, in, in all of our jobs, I, we can probably all think of what is the busiest time you've ever had in your job? One of the busiest seasons you've ever gone through where you think, oh man, I just can't get out of work or I'm, I'm in too much. I, it, it's crazy busy. I've got deadlines. I'm up late. I'm up early. It's, it's crazy, right? We can all think of those times. I, I think of, I know I shared a time with you guys just a few weeks ago and Stephanie also shared one of those seasons in our life where we went through that working in church. But you knew that if you didn't get things done, you wouldn't be well off. Life would be hard. You are pushing it hard. You've got to get it done. Now flip the script. What if we took that same energy that I have to get it done, but we did it chasing what God wants instead of what the world wants? What if that was our mentality? We said, you know what, God? I can't skip time with you. I have to have this time with you. No matter what, God, this is priority. I must get this done, meaning I must spend time with you today. What if that was our mentality every day? What would change in our lives? What would magic, what would, uh, how would our hearts change? What in our life would change? We still have to do our job, right? Absolutely. You still have your job. You still have your employer. You still have deadlines. And I know we go through seasons of things. I'm not saying don't do your work and get fired, get your boss mad at you. I'm not saying that. My pastor said, give, you know, not to do what you said, do what, do what he said. So don't, don't get fired because I said something. Don't do that. But make sure what I'm saying is that in our pursuit of God, that has to be more important than our pursuit of our money. We need that priority shift. And one of those is so much better for our health than the other. So much better. The third, he says, is earn all you can, but not at the expense of your neighbor. Earn all you can, but not at the expense of your neighbor. You know what one of God's commands was? Love your, yeah, right? Love your neighbor. God, this is important. Jesus says this is one of the most important commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. This extends to how you treat your neighbor even through your work. Now, Wesley practiced and encouraged people uh, to, to, to have this policy in place where they were loving each other. We can't experience God's fullness through, through individualism and selfishness because God is not an individualist. He is not selfish when it comes to, he, he wants the most for us. He wants us to love him. He wants us to love each other. God is giving. And money all too quickly, if we chase it, can become a point of tension and then even impede our relationships with others. How many relationships do you know or maybe you've been a part of that have been damaged or hurt by money? 
maybe not even a family member, just a friendship that you had where, where someone with, made a financial decision or they did something with you, whether they, maybe they took your money or did something with money where you're like, I've got to steer clear. And it just, it caused a rift, right? That's the opposite of loving your neighbor. Going back to the Old Testament, God directed Israel to be different from their ancient Near Eastern neighbors. He says this in Deuteronomy 25, starting in verse 13. It says, God commanded Israel, do not have two different weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large and one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. Now remember, your neighbor, this does not just mean the person who lives next door to you. For some of you, you're like, oh good, I don't like them anyways. But that's not the case, right? Your neighbor, it's everyone you come in contact with. Your, your neighbors are the people in your atmosphere, the people that you come across. You could have a good relationship with them. They could be an acquaintance. Guess what? It's your neighbor. That's who the Bible's referring to. These are your neighbors. That means in every situation, we're not supposed to cheat people. We're not supposed to take advantage of or rip someone off for personal gain. Shocking, right? The Bible tells us not to hurt people, right? Don't rip people off. Gray areas may be acceptable in the world's eyes and so business practices, but, but I think our guidance needs to come from what the Bible says, not what the world says. How are we treating people, especially when it comes to our finances? Are we chasing our money and letting that hurt people around us or chasing God and letting that bless people around us? The fact we can learn from this passage in Deuteronomy is this. We honor God by honoring others. We honor God by honoring others. When money speaks from a world perspective, when it says chase me, it says you need more, you need success, you need wealth, you need fame, make a name for yourself. You know what God says though? We're living for an audience of one. Living for an audience of one, just him. Money can give you more fans. It can, it can give, make people, they say it's, it's gonna buy me happiness, it's gonna give me everything I want, but you know what money won't do? It will not fulfill you. And in the long run, money will not make you happy. Because here's, here's the fact. When you've lost it all, when you've lost the fame and fortune, how many fans do you still have? How many, how many celebrities do we know or we've heard of that have had it, been at the top end of the pinnacle? They've had the riches, the fortune, the fame. They do something and it's all gone. And now there's just a footnote in the, oh yeah, that person used to be famous, but they're not fans anymore. You're not fans anymore. You're just kind of like, oh yeah, they, they used to be there, but now they're not. Money does that. Makes you feel like you're on top of the world and at the same time can take everything from you. <clears throat> when you die, what will you have built that has lasting value? We told this story, uh, I told this story on the One Month to Live series. We talked about how in 1988, there was a French newspaper. It mistakenly ran an obituary for Alfred Nobel, uh, the wealthy inventor of dynamite. His brother was the one who had actually died, but the obituary had him in there. And it said, the merchant of death is dead, was the name of the obituary. This caused him to completely rethink his life. And eight years later, when he, he did die, he left $9 million to fund awards recognizing those who help people called the Nobel Peace Prize. It caused him to do a shift, right? When he, when he realized what he was making money off of, he didn't want to be remembered for the thing that was damaging people. He wanted to be remembered for something that was helping people. So he ended up shifting his focus. Instead of living for now, he said, what do I want the end to look like? What would you want your obituary to say about you? Would it want you to say, at memorial service, at celebration of life, would you want people to say, oh yeah, he just had so much money, he didn't know what to do with it, he had all the things? Or would it rather be, man, he loved me. 
He helped me. He loved people. He was a lover of God, and you could see by the way he treated people. I know that that's, I, as much as I, as much, there's just things I want people to say about me that I hope people would say, you know. But um, I hope people would say that, that, I, that I loved them. I hope people would say that I, that I pointed them to Christ. And I think one of, the, one of the greatest things anyone could ever say at my celebration of life was, he helped bring me closer to Jesus and he loved me. I think that would be the best thing ever. What do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered for lifting up God's name or lifting up your own name? Money's not worth the expense of your neighbor. Loving your neighbor, that's what we're called to do. He then goes on to say, earn all you can, but not at the expense of your mind. It's a matter of conscious convictions and managing integrity, right? The Holy Spirit needs to guide us in the things that, that we decide, even in money matters. When we ask for God's wisdom, you know what God will do? He'll give it to you. Then it's up to us to actually use it, right? You know, wisdom once, someone once told me, wisdom isn't just knowing what's right, it's knowing what's right and then doing it. Because often we know what's right, but then we decide we're going to do something else anyways. It's often like when we ask God, we go, God, is this a sin? Chances are, if you're asking God that, you probably already know the answer. But what we're looking for the excuse, right? We're like, oh, well, is this really a sin? If you're asking that question, I would caution you, your gut probably says, don't do it, don't do it, right? But we gotta let the Holy Spirit guide us because if we ask for wisdom, God will not hold back. But when we go against God's word, especially when it comes to chasing finances, it's hard to find peace. And in this scenario, making more money actually weighs us down and ends up becoming a burden because our tactics can be impure when we're dishonest with it. Little white lies have the potential to snowball and, and become a big deal later. I mean, how many people, again, it's celebrities, like, but, but we hear they were lying on their taxes for 20 years, and then all of a sudden, what happens? It catches up to them, and someone owns millions of dollars because they were, they were shifting numbers around a little bit on taxes. Or maybe even for us, if it's not a tax thing, maybe it's uh, shifting your hours at work. Oh, I did work a few more hours. I'll just say that because I need a few more bucks. Those things catch up. Money is not worth sacrificing our integrity. Or maybe we're, we're selling something, but we fully don't disclose everything that's wrong with it. I had a friend that told me once, uh, they said, I found this online store that has a great return policy. If I just told them I didn't get it, they'll refund me. Great, you know what that is? That's stealing, right? I mean, that's, that's just flat out stealing. Money is not worth the integrity of your mind or your peace of mind. There's no amount of money that's worth it. There's a way to work for God and not human masters, a way to earn money and not chase money the way the world says. And the secret is the posture of your heart that you're coming to God with. What matters most to you? If your bank account was empty and you had no money set aside for retirement, would you still be content knowing that you still have God and you're following him? Would it be harder? Yes. Would you look back at life and go, I wish I would have made some different decisions with money? Probably. But if you're doing your best and following God with everything you've got and you realize I don't have much, are you still content knowing, but I still have him and he still has me? That's an amazing feeling where we can get to that level of contentment. Contentment is a learned skill. It's learned. And Paul tells it in the book of Philippians like this in chapter four. He says, I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through God who gives me strength. 
Are we depending on God or are we depending on the world? Are we depending on God or are we depending on money? What is the source of our security? What is the source of our worth? What is the source of our contentment? And it all comes down, I think, to a complete obedience on God and complete dependence on him. Money can't buy you happiness. It can't buy you love. It can't buy you peace. And if you decide that money is the things that will do those for you, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt those around you. It's going to hurt the it's going to hurt your mind. It's going to hurt your integrity and it's not worth the chase. But God is always worth the chase. God says Trust me, follow me. You can earn in a godly way. And when we earn in a godly way and we trust in a godly way, we have more than we need. We always end up having more than we need. I'd like to invite the worship team up as we come to a close this morning. When it comes to uh, earning money in a godly way, it really comes about surrendering control. And control is a word that's almost synonymous with money, right? I mean, they, they go hand in hand. We, we want to control over all of our money. But when we surrender it all, and we say, God, I'm giving you all I have, including my wallet. It loses its hold on you. It loses its grip on you. And then we can think about working for God with all of our heart, earning money without chasing it. And that's when God can use all the money to advance the kingdom. And man, what a, what a joy it is when we get to that point where we say, God, I'm content with everything you've given me. I'm doing everything the way that, the, the best I can, the way you've instructed me to. And man, that's, that goes far beyond happiness. That is a joy that can only come from him. And when we have joy with our finances, that's a great place to be because we know that it's God bringing us that joy. Trust God. Let God shape your purpose where you're at right now. Would you stand with me? If you, uh, if you ask yourself these questions and then relate them to how you, how you earn money or chase money, what would God say? If you could let his love shape the way you work, Raise your kids or grandkids, interact with your friends, how you act when you run your errands, how would God shift in your life? If you let God be the source of all your joy, what would listening to him look like on a daily basis? What would your finances look like if you were more patient with what God told you to do and less of what Amazon, Facebook, or TV told you to do? What would it look like and how would your joy level, what would your joy level be? Let's pray that that for all of us, just as a church, individually and as a church, man, we trust God with everything. We give him all we are, all we have, and know that he is in charge. We are stewards of what he's given us. Amen? God, I thank you for today. I thank you that, uh, God, I thank you that we are called to be chasers of you and not the world. God, I thank you that through you, we can, ha we, we can have integrous ways of earning finances and we can be good stewards of those finances, God. We don't let those rule our lives. We let you rule our lives. And when we do that, God, we, we love our neighbors. We love our families. We love our, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our spouses. God, we love the world around us because we are trusting you more than anything. So God, I pray that we give you our hearts, our whole hearts, everything that entails, all of our stuff, our lives, God, it's all for you. We thank you, love you, and everybody said... Amen.